0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 39. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, I sit down for a conversation with world-renowned tattoo artist and author Jonathan Shaw, who recently compiled and released a collection of Vintage Tattoo Flash and a book called Vintage Tattoo Flash. And the conversation that I have with Jonathan touches on the many things that he's gone through in life that have caused him to become the man that he is at this point in his life. As I always say, you can get these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for The Wallbreakers. If you're going to do that, please rate us, review us, subscribe if you want to, tell a friend, tell two friends. Word of mouth spreads these podcasts around. I don't want to take up too much time because this conversation with Jonathan is packed. If you don't know who Jonathan Shaw is, he is somebody who has revolutionized the tattooing industry. He's very reflective and self-aware about the advances in tattooing, what that has done to the industry itself over the years. He's very open about growing up in Hollywood, the son of bandleader Artie Shaw and actress Doris Dowling. What that was like for him growing up, it was not a bed of roses at all, and the American Dream, as he says, was a little bit of a nightmare for him growing up. But also, as he gets into, these experiences that shaped him, like all of us, depending on how we're going to look at them in our own lives, the perspective that we have, anything can be seen as a positive because it's a reason to grow. Not going to take up any more time. Please enjoy Breaking Walls episode number 39 with Jonathan Shaw after this brief pause. What's up guys? Back on Breaking Walls today. My guest is Jonathan Shaw, who is a world-renowned tattoo collector, tattoo artist, traveler, He's been all around the world, and I wanted to sit and talk with him today about the wisdom that he's picked up in his life that he can pass to other people as he does things like put together this fantastic book called Vintage Tattoo Flash for artists and enthusiasts alike and tattoo collectors. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So people who know you know that your parents, your father's Artie Shaw, your mother's Doris Dowling, you were parents, your, your parents were celebrities, they might think that that would make you grow up in a certain way that might not be true, and so I'm curious, you know, publicly, we, you know, we know about your father and your mother, what was, were you like a latchkey kid, essentially, were they not around a lot, were you close at all to both of your parents, I know that you left home as a teenager, these, some of these earliest memories, was there, you know, what kind of a home was it to grow up in?
1: Well, you know, I've gone over a lot of that in my, uh, my memoir books, you know, I've got a series of memoir style books that I'm, uh, in progress with, you know, that, that should be coming out in the next, you know, over the next years, you know, the first one we're working on, you know, the the personal memoir style, uh, writing, you know, material stories, you know, that are basically, you know, my life story seen from different perspectives. And. You know, the first volume of that is coming out on Turner Publishing uh, next, early next year. That's called Scab Vendor: Confessions of a Tattoo Artist. And you know, so I've covered a lot of that ground in the in these books. So there's not a lot I can add to a story like that that's taken me almost 20 years to write. But you know, for simplicity's sake, I can tell you that, you know, it was uh, sadly, it was a childhood not unlike bad of too many kids growing up in America, you know, in other words, a very, you know, fucked up childhood. My parents were both really complicated people. You know, they were geniuses, really, but they had a lot of, uh, you know, how can I put this, deep existential personality disorders, (laughs) you know, problems stemming from their own miserable childhoods. And, you know, that made them pretty uh, unqualified to be successful parents, whatever that is. You know, God rest their souls. You know, my mother was a hopeless alcoholic. She was a, you know, violent, raging mess in the dress a lot of the time uh, as I was growing up. She meant well, you know, she was a good person that just couldn't really do very well because she had a lot of, you know, she had a lot of issues and so despite being this beautiful talented very intelligent woman she was pretty much nuts during my formative years and beyond you know right up to you know her death and you know that was mostly because she was an alcoholic and you know that's a very complex and uh you know, that's a very, that's, you know, that's that's a whole world unto itself. And, you know, like I said, she loved me and she really meant well, but she just didn't have the emotional equipment to do very well as a mother, poor thing, you know. And my father, Artie, well, you know, even though he didn't drink, he was every bit as uh, as crazy as as she was with his own weird, fucked up pathology. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the law of attraction. Life attracts life, right? Mm-hmm. So... He was basically what could be described as a, uh, you know, narcissistic sociopathic personality. You know, these traits were pretty much exacerbated by the extreme level of fame and success that he had attained in his, you know, in his career and his music. You know, like the guy was like basically like Elvis or Mick Jagger in his day. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that. Uh, it was that kind of deal. You know, that and his undeniable genius, not just as a musician, but as an intellectual, a writer, a philosopher, you know, a very curious mind. You know, all those factors contributed to making him a very difficult man, personality-wise. You know, he was also what's known today as like a sex and love addict, you know, a textbook codependent. And he kept getting tangled up with, you know, problematic women. So, you know, it's 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 like it's a classic pattern for people like that, you know, repeating the same dysfunctional behaviors, always expect, expecting things to turn out different, you know, which is Einstein's basic classic, you know, definition of insanity. Right. And, you know, I think my mother was like wife number seven by the time they hooked up. And, you know, from what I've learned over the years, you know, just talking to both of them before they passed and you know doing a lot of my own research and looking back into you know the circumstances that brought me into this world uh, it was all love and kisses for them at first you know which is kind of a typical situation in these kind of fucked up relationships you know but predictably the relationship sort of degenerated into a battle of raging artistic egos and you know like that's what i was born into a fucking battlefield so, my earliest childhood memory really is of, you know and this is in my book, is of my mother emptying a gun in my father's general direction. you know she wasn't a very good shot, thank God. and you know then him grabbing the gun out of her hand and beating the shit out of her, you know that's like my earliest childhood memory. I was probably just a baby when that happened in the crib. so you know it wasn't exactly a leave it to Deaver storybook childhood, you know and you know after that, he split never to be seen or heard from again. And I was just a baby, you know, so I was raised by my mother, who was, you know, not very well-equipped to, you know, for motherhood. And so, you know, she was a single mother, and she was conflicted between her career, you know, in Hollywood, and, you know, a drinking problem, and, you know, having a kid, you know, a boy child, you know, at that, you know, and she had, you know, some terrible issues, you know, with men, probably, because her father was a raging drunk, you know, really, there's a lot of stories about, you know, how she grew up in my book, you know, with this raging, alcoholic, gypsy con man, as a father who'd come out drunk and just destroyed the house and everything in it. And, uh, you know, so she grew up with a lot of trauma having to do with, you know, the image of her father. And, you know, I think a lot of that resentment, you know, that unconscious resentment and hatred of man, you know, was directed at my father and then later at me, just because I happened to be born with a penis, you know. So, so my mother, you know, she was very abusive, very crazy, and that's what I grew up with. So, you know, I was basically raised by wolves, you know. I mean, I split home and took to the streets when I was around 14 years old. Because, you know, anything would have been better than, you know, living, you know, once I was old enough and, you know, sort of strong enough to just get out on my own. That's the first thing I did. I, you know, I left home and you know never looked back. And you know that you know, that began my sort of career living on the streets and living by my wits. you know from around 14 years old. As far as my father, you know, I only got to know anything about him really much much later when I when I was like in my 30s. Uh, and when you know I went to look him up as a grown man, he didn't exactly welcome me like the prodigal son or anything with open arms, you know. Like I said, you know, he was a really complicated, difficult man. But I did get to know the guy pretty well over the years, you know. Our relationship was weird. It was distant and very intimate at the same time in a weird way, you know. Mostly because, like most narcissists, Artie was a really good talker. Very intelligent and introspective in his own twisted, self-serving way, you know. So when I really did start to, you know, seek him out and later in his life and get to know the guy, you know, he downloaded a lot of stories, a lot of information about, you know, his background and his growing up and his relationship with my mother. And, you know, just, uh, you know, I got to know the guy very, very well. And, you know, it became part of my own journey of introspection to sort of get to know as much as I could about these crazy, uh, you know, these crazy old ghosts, you know, who were my parents. So, you know, a lot of that information, a lot of that experience, a lot of that emotional baggage, you know, has been, you know, transcended, you know, a place of neurosis in my point of view and, you know, become the fodder for these these books that I've been writing, you know, this memoir style writing, you know, writing about myself and my life's path and, you know, all the crazy fucked up things, you know, that I've done and, you know, my, you know, successes, my failures, you know, the experiences, you know, traveling around the world, meeting all kinds of people, doing all kinds of stuff. But, you know, naturally, that's also sort of evolved into a sort of archeological dig into the circumstances uh, surrounding, you know, like my family of origin and, you know, where I came from and how this all ended up resulting in, you know, me being the, the person that I, you know, that I turned out to be. And so, you know, naturally, I had to really look deeply into, uh, you know, the histories of the people that, that sort of informed me from an early age. And, you know, so there's a lot of stories about my mother, my father, their childhoods, you know, a lot of real deep digging, introspective stuff. And, you know, that's that's the book. You know, I never felt like as a child, especially and as an adolescent and, you know, for most of my Adult life, or at least you know, a good part of it. I never really felt any, any uh, compulsion, you know, one way or the other, to ever follow in any of their footsteps. You know, my—I mean, both of my parents were way too spaced out and self-involved to ever pay much attention to my future or anything like that. You know, for my part, I wanted nothing to do with their toxic bullshit American dream values. You know, I was a shy, introverted, alienated kid. You know who went on to become a pissed off, rebellious teenager. So all I ever wanted as a kid was to get as far away from all of that as humanly possible. And what I found is you can run, but you can't hide. You simply cannot outrun the laws of karma or your own DNA. That's for sure. So like it or not, your people are in your blood, you know, and they are, you know, a big part of your life's path. And to that degree, we often end up proving that old adage to be true, that the apple don't fall far from the tree, you know. It's rarely a conscious decision, though. It just happens, you know. You just wind up, you know, being, you know, like my mother was an actress. And I never, you know, I always hated that, you know. I hated that, you know, what I perceived as a kid is that, you know, that schizophrenic, phony, you know, baloney kind of thing, you know. So I always thought actors were, you know, just subhuman kind of people, you know, just trying to, you know, they were pretend people, they were cardboard people. So I really always, you know, had a deep disdain for acting and for Hollywood and for all that kind of bullshit thing, you know, but, uh, you know, like I was saying before, it's like you can't really outrun what's in your DNA, you know, I wound up, you know, in my late 20s, I was working in some seedy old tattoo shop in New Orleans when a film crew showed up. One day, and they were scouting locations for a Clint Eastwood movie, and all of a sudden, the director looked at me and asked if I'd ever done any acting. And you know, I was broke. You know, I needed money, so I lied. Of course, I told him I'd been in a bunch of South American soap operas and shit. You know, figured i they'd never be able to check that, and it worked. Next thing I know, I'm playing a scene opposite fucking Dirty Harry himself. So go figure. You know, right. It was fun. Yeah. I made a few bucks. I got my SAG card and everything, but I never even thought of pursuing an acting career after that. I just forgot about it. You know, I was ho about tattooing and traveling back then, so I just kept going with that. As much as I really abhorred my parents' lifestyle and my mother's alcoholism, you know, once again, I went to become just like them in so many ways. I mean, on the outside, my lifestyle was a world apart from theirs, of course, but on a deeper inner level, it wasn't that much different. So much so that I went on to become an alcoholic and a drug addict, just like my mother. And on many levels, you know, I followed in Artie's footsteps as a pussy-chasing, fame-and-fortune-obsessed maniac, too. So I guess my basic self-esteem was, like, so shattered coming from that kind of background that I came from, that on some levels I, I craved that sort of outward validation and attention from the world for a very long time and you know so I became you know this world famous this and that you know tattoo artist as a writer you know of course it's part of my job to get my work out there so I have to you know have those self-promotional skills you know I'm just happy proud to say that you know I think my motives today as being a public figure or whatever you want to call it you know are so different from what theirs were because they were really chasing the cast of prizes for the sake of the cash prizes, you know, they believed in the you know whole American dream fantasy of you know happily ever after, and you just get enough money and you know property and prestige, you know, you'll live happily ever after. And you know, thank God, you know, through my own experience with drug addiction and you know a lot of other things, you know, crashing and burning, you know, by living by those premises, you know, I've finally come to the conclusion in my old age that nothing could be further than from the truth. You know, The true purpose of life is not to amass riches, public approval. The true purpose of life is to follow a spiritual path and to try to be of usefulness and service to your fellow human beings, and to evolve emotionally, mentally, spiritually, creatively for the sake of that. Whether you get the cash prize or not, doesn't really matter, you know, true happiness does not come from cash prizes, that I can tell you with absolute certainty, but, you know, I had to go down that path a long way and, you know, get my, uh, you know, eat shit and die a thousand deaths before, you know, I I realized that that, you know, that that, the path of my parents and so many other people in this world is really not a path that I want to follow. And that's, you know, where I've been able to find some degree of integrity, as an artist and as a human being, you know. But, you know, so what I come from and what I aspire to are, you know, two very different philosophies, let's say.
0: So when you look in the mirror today and you see yourself, is the guy that you see in the mirror, is he, are you close to who you in your own head want to be when you see, when you look at yourself? Are you living in the present tense at the moment?
1: Well, I feel like I'm certainly, you know, I'm certainly on that path and, you know, it's a daily battle to to stay that path, you know, to stay true to what I know to be true, because, you know, this world is full of temptations. I mean, it's full of, you know, it's, I mean, you're bombarded every day by the temptation to worship cash and prizes. You know, just the fact that, you know, if you're not making enough money to pay the rent, you know, you become obsessed with money, you know, and that is bullshit but at the same time you are bombarded with pressure by you know the nature of the, the society and the world that we live in to you know follow all these illusory paths and that's the tightrope that i walk you know that that so many people walk today is to stay true to themselves and their highest purpose and at the same time to survive in the material world you know and so when i look in the mirror you know i see a guy like so many other guys who is you know Trying to live with integrity and trying to be true to their, you know, their highest ideals, and at the same time trying to, you know, survive in the world, you know, of, uh, you know, that we live in, you know, which demands a certain degree of materialism just to be able to get through the day, you know, and so that's the type of block, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I grew up in a, you know, very like I said, I grew up very unhappily and extremely materialist privileged environment like in Beverly Hills surrounded by all kinds of wealth and glamour and prestige so my but my experience with that whole american dream thing was like being a long protracted nightmare what i saw was mostly the dark tragic side of that there was suicides in my family of origin that happened you know people killing themselves around me right in front of me you know when i was like a little kid when i was you know 13 14 15 years old i saw these people you know, who live by these, you know, these uh, glamorous uh, ideals. You know, I saw them crash and burn. I saw them die. I I watched them die. I watched them take their own lives. You know, that kind of shit, you know, that has an effect on the way you see the world, you know. And so I wanted no part of any of that shit from a very early, early age. By the time I took off on the road to Mexico and all that, you know i was already you know i was a teenager and i was strung out like a lab rat you know on heroin like most of my friends who also came from you know very similar backgrounds you know people were dropping like flies all around me death was in the air i breathed so it was like what do i got to lose you know so in that sense getting out you know taking a chance sticking my thumb out on the road with no money and traveling around mexico and you know being a hobo and you know winding up working on ships and all that, you know, that that path that I was, you know, basically, you know, compelled to follow it literally saved my life. So all those years in Mexico and Central America before I eventually ended up immigrating to Brazil, all those times on the road, living broke, aimless, just living and surviving by my wits, you know, it taught me so much about life and the, you know, the innate goodness of, you know, of people that it actually instilled in me a will to live which I think ultimately resulted in me getting clean and sober many years later and you know in order to do that you know I I had to really just readjust my whole attitude and outlook on life and become you know kind of like a spiritual seeker you know Mm -hmm. and so so you know everything kind of you know goes together to you know to, to work out to be what it is and you know so over the process of writing these books, these scavenger you know trilogy, which is probably going to wind up being you know six or seven books, you know over the years, you know, of doing that kind of retro, you know introspective retrospective digging into you know the circumstances of my life and the, you know the circumstances of the people, who you know sort of formed my life from a very early age, you know that. Has become like putting together some kind of big long jigsaw puzzle of you know of inventory and introspection and you know and house cleaning and sort of looking at all this stuff and uh, seeing that it all makes some kind of sense cosmically.
0: Now, as a guy who who's been involved in tattooing for as many years as you are, are people today? I, I'm, let me, I'm trying to ask this the right way. Are people who get tattoos today do they forget? or not understand that maybe the guys that you were romantically falling in love with, the tattoo guys from when you were a kid, those guys didn't get tattoos because they liked tattoos. It was some sort of badge of honor that they were wearing through their life travels as they were going down these kind of like fringe members of society. With tattooing becoming so mainstream now, has the... You, like to me, it doesn't sound like you're embittered at the fact that tattooing is mainstream. you're kind of at the crosshairs of both of those eras and you happen to have all this history and knowledge that you're imparting on people. but should people be getting tattoos again for the right reasons? are they getting them for the wrong reasons now? Does it matter? Does any of that really matter? Well, you
1: know, I mean, you know who the hell am I to judge you know what other people are doing? you know it's like you know that's none of my business, you know, as far as tattooing, I mean, the world of tattooing that I came into, you know, in the 70s, in the mid-70s, and the world of tattooing today, you know, they're like such worlds apart that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's astounding and, you know, kind of humorous and interesting, but you see, you know, like, I'm 63 years old, I was born in the 50s, in the early 50s, you know, right after World War II, Korean War. So, and I was interested in drawing ever since I was a little kid. At one point, you know, I, I dreamed of being like a comic book artist. You know, I was really into the old comic books, the EC comics and, you know, all that kind of thing. And, you know, uh, but that, you know, to become a comic book artist, you know, would have required, you know, art school training and a lot of discipline. And, you know, I was a wild child, you know. I was out, you know, looking for adventure because my heroes were not really tattoo artists as a kid. It was, you know, more like Kerouac and, you know, guys like that, you know, lived this, you know, Bohemian life. So, you know, the comic book thing, you know, I always was fascinated with that as a kid, but, you know, I wasn't gonna become a comic book artist, because I just didn't have the wherewithal to, you know, really focus on, you know, the technical aspects of that to become, you know, an accomplished artist in that field that was, you know, pretty competitive and so you know anyway one thing led to another and i wound up traveling hoboing or hoboing around mexico and central america and then i wound up getting work on a ship and i was living a lifestyle that brought me into very close contact with a lot of tattooing tattooing as it was back in the day you know very underworld kind of thing you know back in those days in the mid 70s there really wasn't any kind of uh, tattoo culture like there is today You know, like where it's accessible, and you walk down the street of any town and you see tattoo shops everywhere and people sporting a lot of tattoos. It wasn't that kind of party. You know, now it's turned into this very acceptable, mainstream, kind of boring thing, like you were saying. You know, it's become like a cliche, the tattoo. You know, but back in the 70s, it wasn't that at all. It was still something edgy and underworld and kind of dangerous, mysterious, kind of weird. You know, the average person would not come into a lot of contact with. And I guess there was always this perverse part of me that never really let me fit in with the crowd, you know, any crowd. Even before I found liquor and drugs, I always felt like an outsider, an alien, you know. So, like I said, I was pretty much orphaned, you know, by alcoholism in my family. So, you know, raised by wolves, running the streets, living on the edge. And eventually, you know, after I took on the road, you know, I started working on ships, traveling the world, and I, you know, and And, you know, since I'd already been on my own, you know, since I was 12, 13, my family, my real family and my school were always the streets, you know, and the people you meet in the streets, bikers, beatniks, winos, weirdos, druggies, hustlers, criminals, whores. You know, those people were the only ones who really wore tattoos back then, outsiders, you know. So they taught me the art of, you know, survival. And so I didn't really come into tattooing so much for the art as I did because of that outsider lifestyle that surrounded the whole deal back then. You know, for me, the artistic part came much later. And how that developed into a sort of mainstream art form of my own part, and seeing and even making a lot of that transition happen, you know, that's a really long story. That's why I'm writing these books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I first came into tattooing in the you know, 70s, and that was, you know, That was another world from what it is today. That's, you know, it's changed so much. You know, I came into tattooing because of, you know, what tattooing represented at that point, you know. You know, I I had to figure out how to learn tattooing back then because there was no, you know, YouTube videos how to do a tattoo. There wasn't books, there wasn't magazines, there was nothing. You know, you really had to sort of, you know, sort of, you you had to experiment a lot on your own until you could get enough chops to wear maybe some old, Salt would sort of agree to take you under his wing and teach you some of the finer points. And, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. And, you know, that's how I came into the thing, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I was very lucky, you know, that I, uh, you know, I became good enough at it to, you know, to gain, you know, the acceptance of, you know, one of these old time tattoo masters, Bob Shaw, who no, no relation became my mentor. And you know, from there it just kind of took off, you know. And you know, then through the whole, you know, series of strange, coincidental, you know, synchronistic happenings, you know, I wound up being, you know, developing my own style and becoming kind of a, you know, a name in the tattoo business. And then, you know, I became the managing editor, you know, one of the biggest you know, first real mainstream tattoo magazine that ever you know, came out and, you know, like I said, you know, then I started getting a lot of visibility and next thing you know, you know, I was a brand name in this thing, you know, but that, you know, I never started out with that kind of attention, you know, my idea was just to, you know, be able to make a living and travel around the world and sort of, you know, as an outside artist, you know, and do my thing. So, you know, what it is today, you know, even though I was really instrumental in seeing a lot of it happen, you know, and making a lot of it happen, I never would have imagined, you know, that being, you know, my my destiny or whatever, you know. As tattooing started becoming very trendy and gaining approval, you know, to me, and this is just my opinion, you know, a certain mediocrity has crept into the thing on some levels. On other levels, you have all these incredible technical advances that are, you know, really beautiful and really great artistically, you know, and I I wrote about a little bit of that in the introduction to my, you know, the tattoo uh, flash book, you Mm -hmm.
0: know.
1: You know, so it's a double-edged sword, you know, like when anything, you know, becomes popular, becomes mainstream, on some level it becomes kind of cheesy and kind of boring, but on another level, the technical advances have raised the thing to the level of fine art which is you know a beautiful thing to see you know there's so many great young artists coming into this thing with art school backgrounds and you know the bar has been raised for tattooing exponentially you know over the decades since you know i was kind of that first generation of modern tattoo artists who you know sort of bridged the gap between the old school tattoo guys you know who had a very limited repertoire and what's going on now today? You know, so you know that's uh, you know I'm not going to say it's it's all good or it's all bad. It just is you know natural progression of what you know what goes on. These
0: the amount of dues that you had to pay just to get into the industry. Do you think that people today should have to pay the same amount of dues just so that if they get to the end of that rope and someone wants to take them under their wing, to me it would seem like they wanted to make sure that you were serious about. Being part of this lifestyle before they were going to impart any kind of wisdom onto you that they had picked up to their whole life is that has that changed now? With it becoming more mainstream?
1: Well, it's a lot more. It's a lot easier for you know people that are not as you know highly motivated to get into now. So you know it's a lot easier for them to get into it. But uh, you know at the same time, I mean, anybody who's going to go anywhere in any field of endeavor. You know, if they don't pay dues one way or the other, they don't work hard and they don't dedicate themselves to their craft, whatever it might be. It could be music, it could be, you know, painting, it could be writing. You know, they're not going to ever be great. And, you know, that'll all come out in the wash one way or the other. The process of paying dues, You know, may have changed a little bit, you know, or maybe even a lot over the years since it was what it was, you know, to what it is today. But at the same time, you know, you can't escape the law that, you know, you pay your dues to get good at whatever you're doing, whatever those dues might happen to be. Whether that just means, you know, many, many countless hours of dedication to studying and experimenting and obsessing on improving your craft any way you can, doing a formal apprenticeship with some kind of old, you know, master, you know, whatever that may be, it doesn't really matter, it's irrelevant. People are gonna pay their dues if they want to be great at whatever they're doing. If they don't pay their dues and they don't put in the time and they don't dedicate themselves in that way, then, you know, they're never gonna, you know, they're never gonna really shine and they're never gonna become what they want to become. Or maybe they don't even want to become, maybe they're just, you know, running after cash and prizes and they just see this is some kind of shortcut to glory or something and you know those people are basically the kind of shitheads that will be weeded out in the process of evolution anyway you know whether that process is the same as it was you know 30 years ago or not no it's, it's probably not in many ways but at the end of the day it's the same thing you want to be good at something you pay your dues you put in the time you dedicate yourself to it Exclusively, you know, to the exclusion of all other interests, and you're going to eventually, uh, you know, rise to, you know, to the top of the game, whatever that might be. You know, talent is a very small ingredient in the whole salad, in the whole pasta fajoule of the thing. You know, yeah, talent is, you know, everybody might have talent to some degree, but that talent is never going to be, you know, realized if not a lot of hard work and sweat involved. So talent is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is, you know, is the lesser ingredient. Talent is something that's God-given and, you know, but I've seen a lot of talented people just kind of drop off the radar and become big fat nothings. And I've seen a lot of people with less talent that have, you know, had a lot of stamina and dedication uh, to their craft, you know, rise to the top. So talent is one small part of the equation. A lot of it has to do with dedication and stamina.
0: You just mentioned about how potentially people, they're chasing that fame and fortune, and you grew up in a household where the fame and fortune was present, but you knew from a very young age that it was more like the rotten apple. Do you think that you had to go around the world and, and spend your life traveling? Like, as you look back at your life now, does it seem like that was always going to be your path? The path that got you to where you are today, because you're still walking the earth in your own body... Was it always going to be that way? Was your personality always going to take you down those routes? Somebody who lives on the fringes, somewhat of an outlaw-type lifestyle, was that who you were going to be naturally drawn to no matter what, almost?
1: Yeah, it sure looks that way. I mean, you know, like I say, after hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of, you know, really introspective digging into, you know, those circumstances and going over my past with a fine-tooth comb, you know, it seems inevitable you know, I was born for this, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how could I have come out otherwise? You know, looking back over the circumstances of my life, everything was fertile ground for what, you know, is happening today. And I think that's how it is for most people. I think that's how it is for everybody. You know, we are a result of seeds that are planted in our childhood and maybe even before that, maybe before we were born in past lifetimes or whatever. I think everything leads up to a logical of you know, who we are meant to become. Fortunate few might actually be so blessed in this lifetime as to discover, you know, and have some kind of clarity about what their mission on earth just might be. Most people don't get it, you know. Most people die, you know, not knowing what the fuck they were even born for. I think the large majority of humanity, you know, suffers that kind of fate. You know, that they, you know, that like maybe the last thing that goes through their mind before they give up the ghost is something like, what the fuck? And I feel very, very fortunate, very blessed that that is probably not going to be my last thought, you know, in this bodysuit, you know. The, you know, it's going to be more like, okay, I uh, got through this to the best of my ability and did a, you know, and I got a pretty clear idea, you know, what my mission was and I worked long and hard to accomplish it to the best of my ability. And, you know, I might have fallen short in a lot of ways, but at least, you know, I know what those ways are and, you know, pretty clear understanding of, you know, what my mission is here, you know. So, you know, I'm very grateful for that because I don't see that happening with a lot of people.
0: When you say your mission and how you've been able to sort of you know begin to figure that out at least in the, to the present tense that you are living right now. You said earlier about not only your parents but past generations in their family the negative energy that surrounded it. Do you believe that the uh, amount of consciousness that you've been able to interject into your own life does that almost does the negative DNA in your family lines, does it stop with you then? is. Are you able, do you feel like you've been able to change that kind of like DNA pattern that goes through your family's lineage with this level of consciousness that you have imparted upon yourself as you've gone through life?
1: I sure hope so. I mean, you know, I sure hope so. I mean, I, of course, I see a lot of the influence, you know, both emotionally and genetically of my parents and their parents and all that shit in me and who I am today and what I'm struggling to, you know, overcome, I guess you could say, on some levels, you know, and at the same time, you know, I believe that by that struggle to overcome certain, you know, what you call negative uh, tendencies, you know, I'm definitely raising the bar for, I don't know, I don't want to say future generations because I'm not like, you know, a big baby maker or anything, but... You know, just of what I put out into the universe today, you know, you know, I try to get through each day in the sense that, you know, maybe I put a little bit more light into the world than I put darkness into
0: the world. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not
1: saying that I'm free of darkness, you know, I fuck up, you know, I curse people, I, you know, I resent people, you know, I have my little shit list that, you know, go through my mind daily like everybody else, but you know, I have to make a very conscious effort to, you know, downplay that and give fuel to what's, you know, what I've been able to discover that's good, you know, that's the light in me and give that free reign and try to really keep that other stuff on a very tight leash, you know. So, like, if I, you know, if I find myself mentally cursing somebody throughout the day, You know, I will make a conscious effort to bless them, you know, three times for every curse that I've directed towards them. Ultimately, I'd like to get to a point where I'm not cursing anybody, but, you know, I don't walk on water, man. You know, I live in a world full of, you know, very, very challenging people and circumstances. So, you know, but by making that conscious effort to spread more light than darkness, you know, I think that that makes a difference you know, not just generationally, but in general, just as I walk through life, you know, what I'm able to affect in the world, you know, being, you know, just being a light worker, you know, as they say in the sort of New kind of thing, you know, just being somebody that is working to, you know, spread light and to, you know, to attract light and to, you know, to generate light and be of the light. So, you know, the light side of things. And, you know, light is not, you know, it's not always a bed of roses, you know, light could come in the, uh, you know, in the form of very brutal truth, very painful truth, you know, like it's the kind of stuff that I write, you know, it's not, you know, it's not leave it to fever, it's not all happy, you know, you know, I believe that to spread light, you know, to really get the light into the places where it needs to get, you got to overturn a lot of rocks. You know, you gotta turn over a rock and look at all the fucking dark entities squirming around in that fucking dark place. You gotta go in there. You gotta put your gloves on, roll up your fucking sleeves and get ready to deal with some fucking dark shit if you want to be a real light worker. A light worker is not in my you know, as an artist as a truth teller, whatever you know, a light worker is not somebody that's walking around just like oh you know blessing you know everything you know. You got to be ready to do some real dirty work, because we live in a real dirty world, and people in this world are suffering from all kinds of spiritual mal- malnutrition, you know, and emotional you know trauma, and you know growing up you know being bombarded with you know false ideas and, you know, children being raped and abused and, you know, brainwashed by, you know, the social structure that we live in that's so ass backward. How are you going to spread light without bringing light into those places where there's so much suffering and so much ignorance and so much, you know, ugliness, you know? So there's a quote by a guy named Ernst Fischer where he basically says, you know, to be Well, he basically says that for, you know, for art to have integrity or to be true to its highest purpose or its intended purpose, it has to shed light into the dark places, you know. It has to, you know, that social responsibility, you know, is to uncover the darkness and to, you know, get into those dark places and really, you know, show things as they really are, you know, and not as we would necessarily like them to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you probably have a, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. As a tattoo artist himself, there are priestly parallels there where somebody comes to you seeking something, some sort of absolution, or they're looking to be whole and they think that this tattoo is going to help get them there. And to me, that, that's a tremendous responsibility. First, you know, to do the best job tattooing them that you could possibly do, but also then to take all of your experiences and give a little to them To me, it would seem like you take that very seriously while you're in the process of doing it.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And like I said, you know, when I was a tattoo artist, when I was working as a commercial tattoo artist, you know, I was a pretty savage, you know, I was still using drugs, I was still drinking, and I was still chasing cash and prizes, and I wasn't really on that spiritual path. You know, I hadn't passed and burned yet. So a lot of that responsibility that you were talking about in that position as being kind of like a modern day shaman to the great unwashed, you know, I did not step up to that. I did not have the consciousness at the time that I was interacting with thousands of people on that level to really, you know, step up, man up, and, you know, and realize the full potential of my position as, you know, as that that guy. So, you know. I still rose to the top, you know, because I was good at what I did, created a lot of really, you know, innovative artwork and stuff. But a lot of that was on a very unconscious level. Yes, I have creative gifts and I was able to, you know, share those with people, you know, in fair exchange for cash and prizes. But the real potential of what you're talking about, of the tattoo a, you know, kind of modern day shaman or, you know, priestly kind of figure, you know. I wasn't really in a position when I was, you know, in the public eye to fully, you know, exploit that potential. And, you know, that's kind of one of my, you know, if I had any regrets, I guess that's one of my regrets today, you know, that I was in this position, kind of influence, where despite myself, I was able to have a positive influence on a lot of people. But it was not a conscious, you know, thing at the time. And today it is. So, you know, it's, it's great because, you know, in a way I, I get to go back time and sort of undo some of the fucked up perceptions that I might have imparted in that role and sort of get to redo a lot of stuff, you know. And so today from, you know, a position where I'm at can perhaps be more responsible and more compassionate and more, you know, understanding and more respectful of that potential, you know, as, you know, a writer slash tattoo artist you know, now it's like I'm it's like life is giving me a second chance to kind of make you know, make up for opportunities that I'd missed the first time around. So, you know, that's another thing I'm really grateful for, you know, is that I'm able to sort of make a comeback or whatever you want to call it and, you know, be this guy who now kind of has a much more clear understanding of the potentialities in that situation and be able to step up to the plate and be like, Okay, you know, now I'm in a position you know, of some degree of influence or, you know, power, whatever you want to call it. And today I'm able to be respectful of that, try to do my best to inspire others, to help others, to, through example, try to teach others maybe, you know, and maybe, you know, let people know my, you know, the truth of my existence to where maybe some people can learn from my mistakes rather than have to go down, you know, such a dark, laborious path that most people don't really come out alive from either anyway, you know, so so yeah, you know, it's a good situation to be in. But as a tattoo artist and as a person who's been like, you know, spokesman or whatever for tattooing, you know, I I I kind of fumbled the ball in a lot of ways back in the days when I was running the magazine and this and that. You know, I did good work. Yes. You know, I was able to promote respect for the traditions and history. So, you know, I didn't do everything i fucked up. But, you know, today I think I can do a lot better job of it. And I'm getting the chance to do that through these books, through, you know, this kind of public uh, figure uh, position I find myself in. You know, I'm, I'm in a position to actually do, like I said before, like maybe shed a little more light the darkness into the situation. Whereas in the past, you know, it was probably more like 50-50. Now, you know, I hope to be able to take two steps forward, one step back, but, you know, that is some kind of plotting progress, artistically, creatively, and, you know, just as a member of the big tribe of human monkeys running around the planet. So so that's where I find myself today, and, you know, not that I'm planning on getting back into full-time tattooing, you know, I tattoo sporadically, but, you know, I'm not going to be sitting in the shop seven days a week like I used to. But, you know, I'll go in and do some appointments and I do some tattooing, but I feel that today, you know, my interaction with the people that I'm tattooing is on a much more human, humane level than it used to be when I was just slinging them out, take the money and kick their ass out the door. You know, it's not like that so much today. And as far as You know, the other levels of tattooing as being somebody who's writing about it, who's maybe seen as, you know, kind of a role model for younger people, you know, not just in tattooing, but in writing and, you know, just bohemian lifestyle in general. You know, I feel that that's a great, you know, it's a great privilege. And with any great privilege comes an equal degree of responsibility. And I think that's where a lot of people fuck up. I could have fucked up really badly, but for the grace of God, you know, I think, There's people in the public eye today, you know, and we all know who they are, you know, who have a great influence on fellow man through that being in the public eye and being like these little mini gods, you know, you know, living like real assholes, you know, in the public eye, teaching people some bad values. The fact that these people seem to not be aware of is that with their money, power, property, prestige and their public you know, public image, you know, they have a responsibility as role models to at least, you know, show some kind of integrity in their personal lives and in their careers, you know, that might inspire younger people or fans or, you know, whatever, people who are just hypnotized and brainwashed by celebrity culture to not be such assholes. You know, sadly, that's not always the case, you know, but, you know, they also teach by example, drugs and hedonism, you know, uh, in a very public manner, you know, they, they also impart a lesson to, you know, their constituents. It's like, you know, something along the lines of, you know, don't try this at home, kids. Right. One that, you know, wrote that, you know, I'm never going to rehab song, you know. Or, uh, yeah, a, a, yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, it was, you
1: know, I it, know I mean, it was, it's sad and it's tragic, but at the same time, it was kind of You know, it's kind of beautiful, you know, in a way it was, you know, it was it was very fitting that she, you know, after writing a song like that, and spreading that fucking thing far and wide, you know, that poisonous, rebellious bullshit out into the, you know, listening ears of kids all over the world, having her little public tantrum with that giant hit that she should fucking die of a fucking overdose because she didn't. It's because she didn't go to fucking rehab, you know? I mean, I, I don't like to speak badly of the dead, but, you know, I mean, she was a very pointed example, you know? She became a, a great example, a beautiful example. Who says the fucking universe don't have a sense of humor?
0: I'm a huge fan of professional wrestling, but the old professional wrestling days of driving around. and There's this one professional wrestler, his name is Vampiro. He's He's a Canadian guy, but he got famous in Mexico, and he said... In a recent interview, I was listening to him and he said, you know, as a kid, I knew I was going to do something famous, not be famous, do something that made me famous. And, you know, for all of your parents, the, the drawbacks that we can say about them, they were still, your father was still in the public eye because. If he had no talent, he wouldn't have been there. Are we forgetting that? Then you know, like to me, celebrities today, it's like, well, but you're not doing anything to 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 warrant to be a celebrity in the first place. So I, I don't know.
1: You're talking about the Paris Hiltons. And-
0: yeah, yeah. So if, if you want to look at, like, Clark Gable, you, you'd still say, well, Clark Gable was famous because of his acting talent, not because he was handsome. Yeah, that maybe is why he got famous. You know, he got a look because he was handsome, but the talent won out.
1: Right. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, these celebrities, you know, they are like sort of biblical characters. You know, some of them become these great teachers and, you know, and some of them become like these, you know, mega fuck-ups, you know, But boy, when they fuck up, they fuck up in the, you know, very publicly and very clearly in the public eye. And, you know, they become almost like little biblical lessons of like, you know, don't try this at home, kids. You know, it's kind of fascinating, you know. Yeah, yeah. I see it as just this big, long comedy of errors, you know, but everybody's gonna wind up seeing and doing what they're meant to see and do on their path to
0: enlightenment
1: some people are gonna get it you know get it get some really good lessons in this lifetime others might have to come back and do this you know a 100 more times before they get it right
0: now would you say that you mentioned that back when you were tattooing regularly or when you were younger you were still doing good things even if you weren't consciously doing them has that helped you now at this point in your life forgive what you would call your own past transgressions or Maybe because you could look back and say, oh, I was doing good even you know, in spite of myself. Has that made it then easier for you to feel positive today about yourself going forward?
1: Well, that's the great thing about being on this path, that I actually do get to you know, time travel and I get to sort of reinvent not just myself in the present time, making decisions today that will affect my future in a more positive way, but I also get to go back and sort of rewrite or reinvent my past in a way by making amends for past mistakes and cleaning up a lot of wreckage from the past you know and at the same time you know it's almost like you can go back you can creatively go back in time and restructure the circumstances of your past because they're all contingent on your point of perspective so if I wanted to sit here today and be like, oh, boo hoo, poor me. My mother was a fucking drunk and my father was a fucking scumbag. And so I became this drug addict and ruined my life. And it's all their fault and all oh, poor me. That would pretty much create a very negative, dark present for me, which would obviously result in a very dark future for me. Sure, But if I can look back on my path and say, oh everything worked out perfectly everything it was great that my mother was this way and my father was that way because that caused me to go do all this other shit that caused me to come to a place where i had to stop and look at myself and go like whoa wait a minute you know this is not working out and you know straighten up my path and start seeking something more viable and more you know functional and spiritually uh uplifting then i've gotten to rewrite my past because instead of my past being this, you know, sob story or this big long horrible tragedy, now i look at my past as the foundation for all these incredible things that, you know, all these great gifts that i've been the recipient of, deserving or or not, and you know, that creates a sense of gratitude that permeates my life which can only attract good things to me in the present, you know, and lay a foundation for, you know, a happy life you know, that I live today. And so I have been able to rewrite my past, not this—not the exact details of the circumstances of my past. That's not possible. But what is possible is to, you know, undergo a entire mental change through which I can look at my past, with, you know, with a new set of glasses and see all those, you know, supposedly tragic, fucked up, horrible circumstances as being the building blocks for all kinds of really great stuff
0: as a guy who publicly had death is the only certainty, you know, you have that tattooed. It it would seem like you don't believe that. Now death is, is probably one of the only uncertainties in life. If you think about it, if you're talking about past lives, future lives being present, do you, well, you know, that, that, that tattoo,
1: it says death is certain. And it's right. Death problem. is certain. You know that was kind of an homage to the old, you know, that was an old classic tattoo from, I don't know, 20s, 30s, and you know, I was actually sitting around my tattoo shop in New York maybe 25 years ago with Iggy Pop, and he was going through a lot of my old Flash collection, the stuff that ultimately resulted in this, you know, this book I just put out, Vintage Tattoo Flash. And he was going through some of these old designs, and we were sitting around, and, and he saw that one design that said, Death is certain, and he became like, you know, really fascinated with that design. He liked it, you know. And he said, yeah, you know, if I was ever going to get a tattoo, I would get that one. And at the time, we were hanging around, you know, me, Iggy, Johnny Depp, and Jim Jarmusch. And we were kind of like, you know, this gang that just hung out every night, you know. And, uh, and everybody wound up getting that tattoo except Iggy. <laughs> you know, and it became, you know, uh, you know we all had, I, I, I sat down and did that tattoo on myself, on Johnny Depp, on Jim Jarmusch the same night, and Iggy was off touring someplace, and, you know, he came back and never got the tattoo, but we all wore these skull rings, too, that we all wear to this day, me, Johnny, and Jim, but Iggy doesn't wear the skull ring. I think he was stage diving somewhere in Europe, and somebody snatched it off his finger, and he never bothered, you know, asking me for another one. Uh, But, you know, so, but that's, that's how that death is certain tattoo came about but you know what it means or what it meant you know to me I mean what it means to me is like yeah death of the physical body is absolutely certain you know we're all going to the same place we're all you know we're all here you know doing our thing you know some of us are doing good things some of us are creating atrocities whatever Some of us are smart, some of us are stupid, some of us are talented, some of us are never going to find our talent in this life, whatever. All the, you know, different people that are walking this earth right now in this very interesting time in history, you know, we all have one thing in common, that we're all going to the same place. Physical body of each and every one of us will die. All of our riches, you know, all of the fame and fortune and, you know, property and prestige and money and cash and prizes that we've accumulated in this physical life, you know, all that shit's going in the ground, every bit of it. Death is definitely very certain. You know, what's not so certain to me anyway, as, you know, somebody who's got religion or whatever you want to call it, is that the death of the physical body has nothing to do with the death of the spirit. And I believe in the spirit as an eternal entity that lives forever as a spark of God, you know, so... In that sense, death is certain of the but that only applies to the physical body. As far as, you know the integrity of the you know, the spirit that inhabits this body, there's no no such thing as death. That's my personal belief. And you know, I'm not trying to convert anybody to my religion or anything like that. It's just a belief that God forbid I would try to convert anybody to anything. Who am I to tell anybody what they should think or believe? But, you know, at the at the same time, you know, that's a belief that is really stood me you know in good stead you know it has transformed my life into a much happier existence
0: i do agree with you i happen to be one of those people who i i agree with you completely on everything that you just said and similarly you know my life has had a noticeable uptick in general energy since my my own brain went down that path too so to me that's a good thing you know how could it not be Knowing that you're not alone or feeling that some larger presence that we're not just meat bags walking through the earth is right. probably a good thing. Yeah.
1: It's like if I ever put any of this kind of, you know, my belief system, you know, on, out there for public inspection, it's not so much that I'm trying to, you know, convince anybody that they should think or believe as I do, so much as maybe to just let the people who already do you know have these kind of beliefs know that they're not alone you know that they can feel perfectly free to as far as i'm concerned to believe whatever they believe because you know if you happen to believe stuff that i believe through your experience or through your training or whatever then you know i'm putting that to my stuff out there just to let those people know they're not alone you know i'm not trying to convert nobody you know that's that's bullshit you know but you know if you happen to believe as I do through your own experience or circumstances, then great, you know, it's good to know that, you know, we're on the same team and it's a, you know, it's a winning team for us, you know, and whatever anybody else wants to do, you know, God bless them, you know, that's all
0: good. We've talked about the art of tattooing and tattoo love and you said there's a general theme here that, the cream is always going to rise to the top basically no matter what the industry is or what the passion is do you are we drawing to an end of this like fame whore culture that we're going through is the substance coming back because at the end of the day that's what it's it's got to be you know people people want to get involved in things because of the passion behind them and those are the people that are going to rise in the end are we drawn to an end of an era and coming to a new one then maybe at the do you think at the same time of everything that you've seen
1: tattooing you know is a good you know sort of uh, barometer for you know for for anything because because you know tattooing is a popular art form and it, it, in 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 that context tattooing is a You know, creative endeavor, an art form, or a form of expression, that has always been a very good reflection of what's going on in popular culture and in the, you know, in the in the race mind of humanity. Tattooing is one of those little windows through which you can, you know, you can sort of gauge where people are at, you know, culturally, because it is a popular art form. It's not some high art that's hanging in a museum that's only accessible to a few you know, privileged eggheads, you know, it's a, it's an art form that's, you know, really on the ground level, you know, any fucking schmo, you know, with a few bucks in his pocket can walk into the local tattoo place and get a fucking tattoo, and that's his, you know, a lot of times, you know, that's about as close as he's going to come to be able to express, you know, his innermost desires, dreams, thoughts, feelings, you know, express himself creatively through, you know, just the expression of Mark and his skin with this old primal, you know, caveman kind of, you know, instinct to decorate one's body. And so in that sense, you know, tattooing, you know, is this real popular art form. And as such, it becomes a reflection of, you know, the, the you know, the, the popular culture. The popular culture, which reflects, you know, what's going on in people's uh, minds and their aspirations and their souls and this and that, you know, and as tattooing sort of changes and evolves, you know, it might on some levels reflect like a greater evolution of consciousness. You know, that's quite possible. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. But, you know, as far as that evolution of consciousness, I mean, I it's it's... It's pretty clear to me that these are very crucial times that we're living in. Like, I don't think we've ever been in a time in human history where the stakes are so high for the future of existence, you know, physical existence of, you know, of living, you know, living entities on this planet Earth. I don't, you know, right now we are faced with, you know, mass extinction. You know, we've got, you know, technology is you know, evolved to such a level that, you know, life could be extinguished very quickly on this planet. I mean, all life on this planet is in imminent danger of total extinction within the next century. If humanity doesn't start to reprioritize its, its priorities, uh, the greed and the seven deadly sins, you know, that it talks about in the Bible. You know, that, you know, our greed, pride, you know, gluttony, lust, uh, you know, all that, you know, have, you know, just exacerbated to such an extent in popular culture all over the world that the planet is in dire danger of, you know, extinction. You know, we've, we've decimated the rainforest, the oceans are polluted, you know, they're throwing chemtrails up in the sky, you know, raining down all kinds of toxic shit on our heads. And, you know, putting all this horrible poison in the foods, the GMOs, you know, I mean, all kinds of new diseases are coming, you know, coming into existence that they're not going to be able to cure. You know, science has failed at the same time as it's made all these tremendous, amazing technological advances. You know, it has failed to sustain or maintain, you know, any sustainable level of viability for this planetary survival here so you know I mean I could go on and on about this shit you know what's happening is we're living in a time that is you know like in the Bible they called it the end times and the you know the you know the Hindus call it the Kali Yuga you know the time of the goddess Kali the goddess of destruction that this we are in a place of you know they call it samsada you know in the Buddhist traditions you know these are the end times what's gonna come next Who the fuck knows? But these are times of great upheaval and great destruction. And, you know, at the same time, you know, there's a a consciousness that is trying to get in, you know, to permeate the collective consciousness of human beings living on this planet, you know. And so there's going to be a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of crying. There's going to be a lot of people that are really going to be very disappointed with, you know, how their lives are turning out. If They're living by a materialist philosophy. There's going to be all hell to pay, literally. It's not going to be gentle for a lot of people. The wake-up call that's coming down on this planet is not going to be a gentle thing. It's going to be a crash-and-burn kind of mass devastation, you know, horror show. That's what I'm seeing, you know, all around me. When I look at the course that humanity is on, it's a, it's a collision course with destruction. You know, unfortunately the good will suffer with the bad. People who are making the GMOs, and the people who are, you know, declaring new wars, and the people who are electing these shit brain politicians to basically run us into utter collapse, banking system, and all this shit that, you know, we are experiencing. That is going to create a situation where, like, Bob Marley said, when the rain falls, it don't rain on one man's house, you know. It's going to be a hard rain going to fall, and it's going to fall on everybody, you know. So the only real, you know, what's going to separate the men from the boys in this thing, you know, to my way of seeing, is, you know, how we view this. Do we view this as, you know, part of what's supposed to be for us to evolve and learn and grow as individuals and as a race or, you know, is it gonna be like, oh, poor me, you know, we've made the wrong choices and now we're gonna pay the fucking consequences. It's all, you know, what's gonna make a difference is, you know, how we choose to view this horrible collapse that is upon us. And, you know, most people are walking around with their fucking heads up their ass and don't even see it. They're so fucking brainwashed and hypnotized. I mean, we've got a world full of fucking zombies who are mind-controlled by television and the media and banking system and, you know, the, the whole deal, man. You know, it's just one big, you know, one of my favorite speakers on this topic is a guy named David Icke. They they branded him as a conspiracy theorist. and a the nut, But as far as I'm concerned, there's nobody telling more compelling truth in this world today than this little man, you know, named David Icke. I-C-K-E. If anybody's interested, just Google the guy's name and, you know, look at what he's... Uh, you know, the information that he's putting out there for inspection, it's pretty fucking mind changing, you know, it's mind blowing. And, you know, it doesn't take a you know, like Bob Dylan said a long fucking time ago, it don't take the weather man to know which way the wind is blowing. I think, you know, how we tend to view these circumstances is, you know, going to make a big difference on how we endure what's coming. You know, whether we suffer or, you know, we agree to uh Take these lessons with some degree of dignity and patience and compassion for our, our circumstances here.
0: You've lived really a very all in type of life, I would say. Are you satisfied with the level of living that you've done? Are you ever gonna be the kind of guy who totally settles into, you know, living in one place forever and or are you always gonna wanna travel, you're always gonna go? Are you the kind of person who's is never gonna stop you're always going to want to learn more and grow more.
1: Definitely going to want to keep living the adventure, whatever that happens to be. You know, I don't make plans, man. My, you know, I have an old saying that I go by, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So, you know, I just try to keep an open mind and an open heart. And, you know, whatever comes my way, you know, I'll, I'll say yes to it until I have a reason not to, you know, and if that happens to involve travel or staying in one place, you know, it's uh, whatever is meant to be, that's what I'm going to do, you know. It's like kind of like, I think life is kind of like a pinball game, you know. It's like the ball shoots over here, and so you do this and then the ball shoots over there and you do that just kind of go with the flow you know who knows you know that's the big mystery when I was a kid you know one of the great things my mother did was she had this picture book that she used to read to me from when she was sober you know she was she was a very loving mom you know but uh, you know poor thing you know the, the booze got her and you know twisted her mind into a fucking knot you know but she had this great book that she used to read me from and it was kind of like that it was kind of like a what happens next book And so, you know, the character in the book would be in this situation and then, you know, it would end with the sentence, what happens next? And then you turn the page and then it would be like some other situation and then you come to the end of that page and it'd be like, what happens next? So, you know, it's kind of like life, you know, it's like, what happens next? It's an adventure, man.
0: What happens next with you then, right? Like right now, what's you... It's May. What's going on with you? Well,
1: right now I've got a bunch of projects that are going on. I've got, you know, the first volume of my Scabbender, Confessions of a Tattoo Artist series that we're doing the final edits on. And that's going to be coming out early next year with, you know, early 2017 on a great little indie publisher. Not so little, actually, you know, Turner Publishing. Because I had my experience with big publishers, you know, and I worked with indie publishers, too, before that. But my last book came out on HarperCollins, you know, under Johnny Depp's imprint with HarperCollins. And, you know, it was a great looking book. And, it, you know, I promoted the shit out of it and went all over the country and did some, you know, book promotional launching tours and stuff. Had a great time with it. I'm happy with the book. The book's a good book. A lot of people really got a lot out of it. But... You know, working with uh, Harper Collins, you know, was not the greatest experience, you know, in that they didn't lift a finger to promote the book. And, you know, that's just kind of how they roll. It wasn't, you know, directed at me. They're just not a very hands-on. You know, unless you're fucking Stephen King or Ann Rice or somebody big like that who doesn't really need any promotional help, you're not going to get any promotional help. The ones that need it don't get it. The ones that get it don't really need it. And that's how these big publishers roll, you know, and it's not just hard dogs, it's any big publisher. So, you know, I had my 15 minutes of fame with a standardized conglomerate publisher like that. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, these guys, they don't know their ass from a fucking hole in a hat, you know. So, you know, my next book is coming out on Turner Publishing, which is like a mid-sized indie publisher with a really good reputation. They've been around for, you know, forever. And they're giving me a lot of editorial attention, which is a really good sign that they're probably going to give me a lot of promotional attention too, which is a good thing. Powerhouse books, they put out my vintage tattoo flashbook. And unlike HarperCollins, they hired a publicist, and they went out and got me a lot of press for the book, and the book is now selling really well. I mean, it's good to have a really good product. You know, I mean, every book that I put out, I've put my heart and soul into it, and I've worked as hard as I possibly could to make it a really great book, uh, whether it's just visually or whether it's in the context of the material. But, you know, I've worked my ass off to produce high-quality art, I found, you know, to my consternation that, you know, unless there's a publisher behind you that is willing to help you promote, you know, I mean, on my limited resource, I I can only do so much promotion, you know, I don't have the infrastructure behind me to really do some serious promotional work. So it doesn't matter how great the book is, if nobody gets to see it, if it doesn't get on the shelves, if it doesn't get the attention it needs, then, you know, it's just going to Collect dust somewhere you know so i'm happy to say that you know i've got kind of to learn that lesson and now i'm going with some big author friendly publishers and I, the experience is is really gratifying and i hope to see more of that you know meanwhile there's a brazilian american uh, co-production uh brazil usa you know a big production company in brazil who also has resources here in the u.s and i mean they've been filming for the last two years already and they're doing a feature-length documentary uh, on me and my work and it's called Scabbed into the Life and Times of Jonathan Shaw so that's in production and they're actually they're at the Cannes Film Festival right now hoping to try to drum up some investor money so we can really you know move this thing into the next level of production values so that's going on I've got the feature-length documentary guys following me around doing that I've got these two books out. I'm hoping that the Vintage Tattoo Flash book is going to sell out real quick. Powerhouse is going to come to me with a proposal to do Volume 2. And it's the same thing with my Scab Bender book. So I got all these books going on. I'm about to go to Dallas, Texas uh, in a couple days and work with uh, Oliver Peck, who's a real famous uh, tattoo artist. Who uh, He's got that show, that TV show Ink Masters mm-hmm. uh, with Dave Navarro and all these guys. So... I actually haven't watched the show because I don't have a television. Like a lot of writers, I don't watch TV. But you know, these are very reputable guys, and they've kind of glommed onto my tattoo flash collection. And they they're flying me out to Dallas on Wednesday to uh, to exhibit the whole collection at an art gallery. And then you know I'm going to be meeting with some other. Gallery people in Dallas, and you know, also, you know, participating in their tattoo convention. I think I'm going to give a seminar for them over there and maybe do a little tattooing and just, you know, sort of, you know, it's funny, you know, it's like I had retired from tattooing and now I find myself getting sucked back into it, but you know, from a different perspective as somebody. You know, with a little bit of history, a little bit of baggage. So, you know, the tattooing is something I'm never going to really be able to turn my back on. You know, it's just how do I choose to approach it at this stage of my life where my main focus is as a writer and so forth. So, you know, it all just sort of comes together. So, you know, I'm happy to embrace tattooing as a format through which, you know, I can maybe use some of my work as a tattoo artist as some sort of an infomercial for my work as a writer or whatever, you know, one hand washing the other. These things support each other. It all goes together as part of my history and my experience, my strength, my hope, my whatever expertise, you know, I might be able to bring to the thing. And so, you know, I've got that going on and I've got some other interesting, real interesting art projects going on, you know, with some very big collaborations with some very, very reputable artists, uh, working with some very big time gallery situations that I can't really go into in detail. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of shit going on in the, the future, God willing. You know, so I'm staying real busy, you know, I'm staying real busy. I'm writing, I'm tattooing, I'm. You know, working on art projects, I'm collaborating with this, uh, with these filmmakers on a documentary, and, uh, you know, I'm doing stuff like we're doing here, you know. I'm answering questions, and I'm, you know, letting myself be available whatever the universe, you know, has in store for me, you know, and I'm very happy to be uh, able to do all this
0: stuff. Well, I want to thank you, one, for giving me about an hour and a half of your time today. I know it's short. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate this. There's nothing that I could add to what you said because I, I you know as a human I happen to be giving you know the questions but you've taught me things today about myself and I really appreciate that very much so thank you. Well
1: thank you man and if anybody wants to order any copies of my books get them signed by me you know which helps support my work because you know when they buy them from the publishers or you know wherever you know, from bookstores, I'm really getting a very tiny percentage of the profits of that book, you know, my royalties it's, you know, it's ridiculous, you know, I could make more money, you know, slinging burgers at McDonald's than I make writing books, unless people start buying their books directly from me, then, you know, I make a little bit of money off it, and I get to personalize the books and sign them to whoever's, you know, with a thank you and a little drawing to whoever's... uh, supporting my work by buying my books from me. So if anybody wants to order any copies of my books from me, they can just email me at js, like my initials, jsfuncity, jsfuncity at gmail.com. So my email, once again, is jsfuncity, all one word, jsfuncity at gmail.com. And really appreciate any support when people buy my books from me instead of buying them from third parties. I actually get paid a little bit which is a great thing because it's really hard to make a living as a writer. That's another one of the reasons I'm going back to tattooing on a part-time basis just to support my writing. But I also like tattooing because it's something that's kind of easy for me because I guess I'm pretty good at it. People, there seems to be a demand there. So, And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to put my stuff out there a little more. It's been a pleasure talking with
0: you, bro. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. I want to thank Jonathan for taking the time to sit and chat with me. Anytime that I can speak with somebody who has accomplished so much in their own life and lived such a full life, whether we want to qualify things that we've done in our own life as good or bad, sometimes that doesn't even matter. What matters is that we're willing to get out there and do something in our lives to live a fulfilled life. And Jonathan has certainly done that. He certainly continues to do that. I want to thank him again for taking the time to sit and talk with me. And as he said... If you want to buy Vintage Tattoo Flesh or any of his other books directly from him, you can do so so that he sees a little bit more of the profit margin. And you can also email him at jsfuncity at gmail.com. And as he said, if you buy something directly from him and would like him to personalize it, he's very willing to do so. This month's topic on the Wall Breakers has been Remembrance here in the month of May, which comes from Memorial Day being in this month. And I thought this conversation with Jonathan... Well, it fit that topic very well, but not only that, when we can remember where we've been, we can have a better idea of where we're going to go, and that, I think, as Jonathan alluded to, helps us when we look in the mirror in the morning or any time of the day to know that who we're trying to be is somebody with a lot of validation and somebody who is worth being in this world and worth looking at ourselves in a positive manner. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Breaking Walls, episode number 39. Once again, if you want to subscribe to these conversations, please do so either by following us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com thewallbreakers or searching for us on iTunes by searching for the Wall breakers. Keep getting out there, guys. Keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 39. And until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. Thank you.